0: We'll just go on. How many have seen The Walking Dead? So oh, Good, good, good. Just <laughs> so in the video, you see them all walking. You, you, guys, you guys have seen, I'm sure, a lot of zombie movies. So but that's kind of the theme because it's Halloween. So happy Halloween. Are we allowed to say that? Or do I say like happy fall harvest, harvest. festival time? Well, this morning we're going to look at 10 verses in the book of Ephesians, chapter 2, uh, verses 1 through 10. Um, probably one of the most clear presentations of the gospel in, in the whole Bible, um, at least one that's very short. In a lot of ways it sums up the whole book of Romans and, uh, and just what we're going to look at this morning versus, versus uh, the, the first um, nine pretty much sum up Romans 1 through 11. In fact, if you wanted to dive into what we're going to talk about here this morning a little bit deeper Read the book of Romans, and you'll see these truths all throughout those first 11 chapters. And then right at the end, very briefly, we'll just look at verse 10. But that's, for the most part, rest of Romans. And Romans unpacks that one verse uh, in the last five chapters, 12 through 16. But this morning, we're going to look at these 10 verses. Um, just an awesome presentation of the good news of the gospel. But it doesn't start out looking too good. In fact, it doesn't look like good news at all. Look with me at Ephesians 2, verses 1 through 3. And you were dead in your trespasses and sins in which you formerly walked, according to the course of this world, according to the prince of the power of the air, of the spirit that is now working in the sons of disobedience. And among them we too all formerly lived in the lusts of our flesh, indulging the desires of the flesh and of the mind, and were by nature children of wrath even as the rest. We were dead in our trespasses and sins in which we formerly walked walking dead is an appropriate description of what our lives look like apart from Christ let's go ahead and pray before we dive in any further Lord as we look at these these verses your your truth the gospel this morning we pray Lord that uh, if uh, we're, anyone here doesn't know you this morning or not sure if they know you this morning pray Speak to their hearts, Lord, and help them see the truth of of your word, of who we are and what you've done for us. And for all those that are here this morning and would say that they know you, God, may may this speak to us even further and help us to rejoice and be glad of all that you've done for us, God, and help us to walk all the more after you, being so excited about your love and your mercy and your grace towards us. And we commit this time to you in Jesus' name. And I did want to thank you, if you're here for the first time this morning, just want to welcome you, glad that you're here with us, and uh, hope you feel welcome and encouraged um, by your time here this morning. So the walking dead is an appropriate description of our lives apart from Christ. But when I read this, one question I would have, but are people really that bad? Like you, you read this description and really start thinking about it, it's like, man, people are really horrible. This is who we are apart from Christ? Because it seems to me that most people in the world, most people that I run into, whether they would say they know Jesus Christ or don't know Jesus Christ, they seem pretty good, pretty moral, pretty ethical, and and upright. I mean, the majority of people aren't, like, killing people, right, and robbing banks. I don't know anyone, personally, that has done that. But maybe more are stealing, lying, and hating others, right, But but most seem like, they're, you know, they, they, they seem good, and I would say more are doing that. But when Jesus talked about sin, he talked a lot about things like lust and envy and jealousy. And that sounds to be like me, right? It sounds to be like a lot more people. He also talked about our motives behind what we say and do. And he talked a lot about how even the good things we do are often motivated by self-interests. And it's our motives, like why, why we do the things we do. Jesus talked a lot about that and said, a lot of things we do, it's, it's the reason why we do it that we would call it sin. And he talked about a lot, he talked about how much we sin in our thoughts. And how much constantly, like sinful thoughts are just running through us. And I don't know about you, but I wouldn't want to have my thoughts displayed on a, a billboard for everyone to see. Would you? Like, could you imagine that? Like, they had a little bubble above your head, and like, every thought other people could see. That would be like the worst curse in the world, wouldn't it? You would hang your head in shame and just leave all humanity forever. And your veneer of niceness and everything else is totally gone, and everyone can see kind of what's in our heart. In the book of Jeremiah, it says the heart is is deceitful above all else. It says it's desperately sick, and there's no cure for it. And when I look at my thought life, if I think, well, outwardly, I'm kind of nice, but if I really pay attention to my thoughts, I agree with that. I see a description of myself in these verses. Now, fortunately, I haven't murdered anyone. I don't make a habit of robbing banks, you know, and those kind of things. But I see myself in this. And, you know, the, the writer of these words, the apostle Paul, who wrote the book of Ephesians, sees himself in this too. He says, we too all formally live this way. And Paul is placing himself firmly within this framework of what it looks like being apart from Christ. And he was a religious leader of his time. And yet in another book that he wrote to to his his good friend Timothy, He said that, I am the worst sinner. He said, I am the chief of sinners. Paul really understood the nature of himself and who he was apart from Christ. But if we measure ourselves by ourselves, we don't look too bad, do we? But if we start looking at the words of Christ, if we start allowing the Bible to shed light on who we really are, all of a sudden we don't start looking so good. If you just read Matthew, the Sermon on the Mount, like Matthew chapter 5, 6, 7, you start seeing that, wow, the standard is real high. What Jesus is talking about here, yeah, I fall way short of that. says all have sinned, and all fall short of the glory of God. So measuring ourselves by those words, we see a much clearer picture of who we really are. And if we could stand before God... Do you imagine this? If we could stand before God, I think we would see really clear. Like we, if, if we're standing before his presence and just everything in our heart and in our mind, our thoughts, is totally revealed before him, I think we would all say, yeah, Ephesians 1 through 3, that's a pretty good description of me. Well, one individual had that encounter with God, a prophet named Isaiah, about 700 years or so before Christ came to the earth, He actually had a vision. And how much this was a vision and how much God transported him there, you know, we really don't know. But here's what he wrote about it. In the year that King Uzziah died, and this is in Isaiah chapter 6, should be up there. In the year that King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord, high and exalted, seated on a throne. And the train of his robe filled the temple. Above him were seraphim, each with six wings. With two wings they covered their faces. With two they covered their feet. With two they were flying. It's, It's hard to get that picture there, isn't it? And they were calling to one another, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord Almighty. The whole earth is full of his glory. At the sound of their voices, the doorposts and thresholds shook, and the temple was filled with smoke. Just try to picture that. And then Isaiah said, Woe is me. I am ruined, for I am a man of unclean lips, and I live among a people of unclean lips. And my eyes have seen the King, the Lord Almighty. In Moses in Exodus 33, when he said, God, show me your glory, God said, I will, but I'm going to put my hand and pass by you so you don't see my face. Because if you see my face, you will die. And the holiness of God just penetrates through all this veneer of I'm good, I'm nice, et cetera, et cetera, and exposes us for who we really are. Because, see, the problem is not just that we sin here or there. The, the problem is, or it's not that we just do bad things once in a while, it's that we're inherently bad. The Bible says we have a sin nature and that's why we sin, right? We don't we're not sinners because we sin. We sin because we are sinners. We have what the Bible, some translations will call the flesh or sin nature or, or, or old man. and it's just inherent in us. It's something we inherited. When sin came into the world. And our sin nature does not want to submit to anyone or anything. It simply wants what it wants. That resonates with me. I want what I want. It will not and cannot follow and obey God. You know, in Hebrews chapter 11, verse 6, it says, without faith, it's impossible to please God. We don't have any The type of goodness in us, and and I, and I, and I want to make sure, you know, we don't say that there's no goodness at all in the world. This is his creation, and there is an image of God in all people. It does, we're not, you know, this does not devalue human worth, because we are created by God in his image. That gives every single human great worth and great value, and it doesn't mean there's no value in the world or any good. I mean, a lot of people are doing a lot of good in the world. But what we're talking about is there a goodness inside of us that is ultimately good. We would say no. There's, there's ultimately people are not good at their core. I see it, you know, here and there in myself when I'm driving, especially. That's where I know I'm a sinner when I'm driving, and that's where I know some other people are. Not too long ago, I was with my son, and I'm usually really good when I'm with my kids, you know. I don't want them to see the ugly side of their dad. So I'm driving, we're at a roundabout. I'm really, I, I'm pretty sure that I waited my turn or didn't do anything wrong. But this guy thought otherwise, nice, dressed up in a suit, kind of probably about my age or so. And he just came by and stopped, and, and his face was like beet red. And he just, we he can't hear it, but you can see the words, you know, just reaming me. And I was like, whoa, what? And it's like, a di- like if I would have waited and he thought it was okay, he, he would have just gone by and like, waved, said, hey, yeah, thanks, dude. Thanks. But no, I did one little thing. It's like, ah, and like venom coming out. It's like, whoa. But this is who we are, right? There's we have this goodness, but man, in a heartbeat. And when you look around the world and you see the things that go on, you say, there's something wrong. There is something going on here. God's law, it says, exposes the sin nature in us, right? It's, it's the Bible says that the whole reason the law came in is so that it might expose who we really are, so that we might sin all the more, so we might understand that we got a real problem. We can't follow God in and of ourselves. We cannot follow the rules. We don't like the rules. In fact, hopefully not anymore in Christ, but I would probably still feel this way a little bit. I know as a teenager, certainly I would break the window if they said, do not throw rocks and break this window, right? You're, you're like just enticing everyone. You're ensuring that that window is going to get broke because now it's like, oh, tell me I can't do that? All right, then I will do it. In verse 3 that we just looked at, it says, we live in the lust of the flesh. Indulging the desires of the flesh and of the mind. We live in them because we have no choice. We really have no choice. Our desires and wants control us. It's not the other way around. They control us. Our sin nature determines what we want and what we do. In fact, in Romans 6, it says this, that our old self, sin nature, was crucified with Christ in order that our body of sin might be done away with so that it might be done away with it, so, so that we would no longer be slaves to sin. Our sin nature cannot be reformed. In fact, the Bible says the only way to do away with it is for it to be put to death, for it to be put to death. And then also in verse 3 that we looked at, it says, by nature we're children of wrath. By our sin nature, we are children of wrath. And I don't know about you, but that seems a little harsh, right? Right? To me, that's like even now I could read that sometimes and like, wow, that seems really harsh. And it begs the question: How can a loving God be so ang- ang- be so vengeful and angry at humans whom He created? If He's a loving God, is He really that wrathful towards us? Have we really done, you know, that much bad that all of us are kind of in this children' wrath? We might think, okay, Hitler and, and a few other bad people I can think of. You know, that guy that drove by me. <laughs> You know, and just cursed at me for no reason. Now he's probably not he's probably a really good guy, right? But are we really that bad that we're children of wrath? How can a loving God be so vengeful and angry at humans whom he created? And maybe that can be answered best by another question. How could God look at all the sin and injustice and brutality in the world and not be angry? What kind of God would he be if he did not judge sin? What if he was like a judge that lets a murderer go free? He would be indifferent, right? He'd be an indifferent God. He'd be an uncaring God, unfeeling God. And I'm not sure that anger would be you know, the opposite of love. Probably what more is the opposite of love would be indifference, right? It'd be indifference. And God's not indifferent to our plight. And the word that the Bible uses in, in, this, in this verse too for wrath, there's, there's two words that could have been used in Greek. And one is this angry outburst of, of just uncontrolled, passionate, you know, anger about something that went on. That's not the word that's used here. The words that used here is more of a control. It's, it's more of a settled disapproval. God's in control. He's had, but there's this rejection in this judgment of sin, in a disapproval of sin. God's wrath is actually an expression of God's love and deep attachment to his people and a concern for his people. He must stand against all sin and unrighteousness, and therefore he must stand against us. So the bad news is very bad. It is bad. It's bad enough that it put Jesus on a cross, right? Right? If we had any inherent goodness in ourselves that we somehow could gain God's forgiveness, acceptance, and approval and be with him, then Jesus died needlessly. But the Bible says all have sinned, all have fallen short. If there was one person that could get there on their own, then Jesus did not have to die because that means we all could. Others could. God didn't set up like, you know, you take a test. And if you get an A, B, or C, you're pretty good, right? But if you get a D or an F, you might want to think about taking it over, you know, a redo, or you flunk out, those kind of things. There's no grading system. You do a careful reading of the Bible. The law was never given to impart life. It was to show that we're sinners. The Bible cannot be more clear on that. There's no grading system. In some ways, that would be cruel. Wouldn't it? We'd never know. Who would know? Like one, one minute I think, yeah, I think I'm going. Next minute someone cuts me off in traffic, I'm going to hell, you know. Back and forth, back and forth, our whole lives. We've all fallen short of the glory of God. That's the bad news. And the bad news is very bad. The result of our trespasses and sins is death. Dead to a relationship with God. Dead to proper relationships with each other. We're dead to truly even knowing ourselves. We're dead to peace. We're dead to contentment. We're dead to hope. We are the walking dead, and that's the bad news. But it also makes the good news really good, doesn't it? Let's look at verses 4 through 7. But God, but God, being rich in mercy, because of his great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our transgressions, made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved. And he raised us up with him and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus. So that in the ages to come, he might show the surpassing riches of his grace in kindness toward us in Christ Jesus. The bad news is very bad, but the good news is very good, isn't it? Despite all of our sin, God loves us. And he's made a way for us to no longer be children of wrath. To no longer be... The Walking Dead. In these seven verses, Paul is describing the reality of life without God, and then the re- the reality of life with God. Because you see, we either live in sin and under its influence, or in Christ and under His influence. We either serve the tyrant sin, or we see, or, or we serve the Lord Jesus Christ. Embracing Jesus is really a transfer of going from one sphere to another. It's being raised with Christ and seated with him. It's just another way of saying that we are going from life, from death to life. And that's what it means to embrace Christ. It says all things are new. When a person comes to Christ, that person becomes a new creation. And that's what it takes to be with God. That's what Isaiah wanted. That's what Isaiah needed to become entirely new so he could have confidence there standing before God, something that only God can do. And that's what God has done for it. Look at this great love force in these verses. We just read through it fairly quickly. If you just take these three verses, three verses, and spend time just going over and over and over in it, it's... In the way Paul has written it, it's so short and condensed. It's like, here's the bad news, but, whoa, contrast it with this. And it's kind of supposed to just stop us and cause us to be speechless, cause us to begin worshiping and see what an amazing, loving God has done for us. It's absolutely awesome. The good news is very good. We're no longer need to be children of wrath. And, you know, we can't separate the bad news from the good news, can we? And we have a tendency, we want to do that these days. It's kind of hard. It's kind of hard to talk to a friend or someone and say, you know what? <laughs> You're really bad, <laughs> you know. You are a sinner, you know, and, and all that. We kind of want to leave that out. and We just want to say, you know, Gee, if God loves you and, and, and wants to be with you. And if you'll come to Christ. But if we don't share the bad news, what, what makes it good news then? If we don't understand that we need a Savior, will we come to a Savior, right? It's kind of like if we're on an airplane and you don't believe you're really falling out of the sky, you're not going to take the parachute. Oh, plane's fine. Why would I take the parachute? But if you know it's, you're going down, you'll grab the parachute and jump out. we got to know that something is wrong before we reach out for, to a Savior question I've asked many people over the years and many conversations I've had about why Jesus came to the earth is is, I'll I'll ask them, why did Jesus die on the cross? Why do you think Jesus died on the cross? And many people say, you know, a lot of different answers, but a very common one is, well, I mean, to show, you know, to, to show that he loves us. And I'd say, well, how did that show that he loved you? And then oftentimes there's, there's not much of a response unless they know their Bible well, you know. And then they're like, ah, God's here. But mostly it's like, oh, I don't, I don't know. That's a good question. And then oftentimes I'll say, and I do use a lot of different maybe illustrations or whatever, but I might say, like let's say, you know, we're standing on a street corner and I'm talking to you. And I say, you know what, I'm going to show you that I really love you right now and here's how, and I just jump out on the street, like right in front of a bus, bam, you know, and I'm dead. The person's going to look at me and go, wow, that was weird. How did that show me you love me? I don't know. I didn't really want you to die, you know, all that kind of stuff. But if that person's in front of the bus, and I dive out and push them out of the way, and then I'm crushed by the bus, I mean, the person would tend to think, wow, person really loved me, or at least loved people in general, you know. But he gave up his life so that I might live. That's why Jesus died on the cross. He gave up his life so that we might live. And that's how we know that God loves us. The greatest indicator of God's love is Jesus Christ on a cross, hanging there for you and me. That's why we can be assured of it. Okay, we tend to do two things. When I, you know, look at these verses here, when I look at the bad and the good, we tend to do two things. The first thing we tend to do is we don't really believe things are as bad as Paul says they are apart from Christ. We really don't believe that. We might even read it a lot, but we really don't think, eh, come on, I'm not really that bad, and people really aren't all that bad. We don't really believe it's as bad as Paul says it is. But look in Ephesians 2, 11 through 13, just later on in this chapter. Remember that formerly you, the Gentiles in the flesh, remember that you were at that time separate from Christ, excluded from the commonwealth of Israel, and strangers to the covenants of promise, having no hope and without God in the world. But now in Christ Jesus, you who were formerly far off, you've been brought near by the blood of Christ. Now, Paul's trying to correct a problem here between the Gentiles, which is everyone who's not Jewish, and the Jews, like trying to bring them into one group. But he's using as his argument, remember, remember your your, your former way of life and what Christ has done for you. I think it's very good for us to remember and not forget our former manner of life. If you say this morning, I know the Lord Jesus Christ, don't forget the bad news. Revisit it. Again, not to... You know, like, it's, it's, it's not like we're trying to do penance or make ourselves feel bad. We're just understanding the truth and understanding the great things that God has done for us and his great love for us. Because if we forget, and if we don't revisit this, number one, we may not be as inclined to share Christ as more, right? Eh, I mean, are people really going to be apart from God forever? seems like I know so many, I just it's hard for me to see. And that's what we see going on today is this whole, like changing this whole concept of will we really be removed from God's presence forever and ever? And there's like three or four different views of hell these days. And, you know, I want to learn and grow. And It's not like I'm told, but it seems to me like when I read my Bible, Christ is saying this is very serious. And people cannot be with my father without me without coming to what I did for them on the cross. It seems very, very clear to me. And if we don't believe things are as bad as Paul says they are, we may begin to think that we can or that we must obtain some righteousness on our own. And even sometimes as a Christian we think, hey, I'm a pretty good person. And I'm sure God is more accepting and loving of me as I'm doing all these good things. We need to revisit the bad news. And the bad news is this, there is nothing I can present to God that would make me more worthy of his love or his acceptance or his forgiveness. Now, God wants to see us do good things, right? That's verse 10. We're coming to that. But we don't do those things to be saved. We do those things because we are forgiven. We're not trying to earn God's favor. Anything that we're trying to do to earn God's favor and forgiveness Isaiah 64, it's like a filthy rag. It's like we're offering up a filthy rag. Look what I did, God. Look, I helped that person across the street. I even jumped in front of the bus and saved that person's life. It's like a filthy rag when it comes to be accepted and forgiven by God. There's there's no chance of that. And we won't be in awe of God's love as much or filled with God's love as much if we forget just how bad the bad news is, we really won't be full of his love. There's in Luke seven. There's a story of a, a religious leader of the day, and Jesus comes into his house to have a dinner with him, And he doesn't really he doesn't wash his feet, which was a custom of the day. He doesn't like do a lot of other things for him. And then a woman, most likely a prostitute, the religious leader calls her a sinner, comes in, and what does she do? She pours perfume on Jesus's feet and and, and her tears are washing down on his feet, and she's drying them with his hair, with her hair. And, and, uh, and the Pharisee, the religious leader, is thinking, if Jesus knew what kind of woman this was, a sinner, he would not let her do those things to him. And Jesus, knew, knowing what he was thinking, asked him a question. And he said, suppose there was, there was two debtors, one owed like just a little debt and one owed a great debt, but both were forgiven. Who would love more? And he says, well, of course, the great debt. And then Jesus went on. See what this woman, because she has been forgiven much, she loves much. Luke 7, 47 should be up there. Unless we understand how bad it is for every single one of us, will we really embrace and understand the the extent of our forgiveness and be filled with gratitude and thanks and the love of God? So the bad news is not all bad. It actually makes the good news that much better, doesn't it? And it fills us up with awe and wonder of all that God has done for us. The second thing we tend to do is not believe things are as good as Paul says they are in Christ. First thing, we don't don't really think it's as bad. You know, we really don't think things are that bad apart from Christ. But then kind of conversely, we also don't think things are as good. As Paul says, they are in Christ. And nearly all our experience in this world tells us that we have to earn acceptance and love, doesn't it? So it's no wonder we doubt God's acceptance and love. I mean think about it. If you don't do well in school here, you're kicked out, right? If you're mean to other people, they're mean to you. You gotta ingratiate yourself to other people and all, you know, all, all these things. Like we we understand much of our world is built around earning respect, and love, and acceptance. But God is different. It's a whole different thing with God. He offers his mercy and his grace and his forgiveness to us, and this is important, because of who he is. Because of who he is. Not any merit of our own. It's not because of any merit of our own. Look back where it says in, in uh, verses 4 through 7, it says, in, in fact, verse 4, right in the beginning, right after the bad news, but God, but God, this is the difference. Not, but we, trying our best, you know, but we, trying to get a seer better. No, it's but God, being rich in mercy, full of love, made us alive, seated us, raised us up. It's all God's doing. It's not ours. Understanding how much God loves us will in large part determine how much we experience God. Just let me read this verse. I don't have it on a slide, but just the chapter over in Ephesians 3, verses 17 through 19. Paul is praying for them here, and he says, I pray that you may have power together with all of the Lord's people. To grasp how wide and long and high and deep is the love of Christ. We need power. We need God's, God needs to give us the ability to even grasp the extent of Christ's love. And to know this love that surpasses knowledge. That you may be filled to the measure of all the fullness of God. You know, I've known I've known Christ now for 39 years. I still feel In many ways, like a toddler, you know, like a second grader in understanding God's love. You never really graduate from that. Sometimes people want to go, oh, tell me all these deep things of God, which you know what usually that is? It's kind of like something in the Bible I've never heard before, you know, or some kind of concept kind of shared a little different way. It's like, oh, I didn't know that. Oh, a little more knowledge to stick in my head. But it's the love of God that we need to grow in for a lifetime. And even then, it surpasses knowledge. Right, We need power. I think for all eternity, it's just the love of God is going to be shown to us more and more for all eternity, at least in our concept of time. That's crazy, isn't it? So do you think we grasp it like in just a few years or 10 years or 39 years of following the Lord? There's always something more to to know and experience in his love, in relationship with him, just in relationship with him. Not necessarily in like, oh, thank you, Lord, I, that really worked out for me. Thank you for your love. It's more just as we're with him and we experience his peace and his contentment and his touching our hearts and, and, and all that's involved in our relationship with him, that we grow more and more into understanding his love for us and we experience it in a greater and deeper way. And understanding our forgiveness and identity in Christ will determine how we live. If we don't understand how good this good news is, then we may not really follow God, at least not wholeheartedly. We're kind of more like get in line, you know, with everyone else in church instead of being out in front. Because I know who God's created me to be. I know his forgiveness. I know that he's for me. Man, that just, I'm going to take the lead here. I'm going to live for him. I don't care what anyone else is doing. I know what he's done in my life, and that's what I'm going to share with other people. This happened to Isaiah. The woe is me. I am ruined because I'm a man of unclean lips. Let's continue that story. Verses 6 through 8 should be up there. Then one other seraphim flew to me with a live coal in his hand, which he he had taken with tongs from the altar. With it, he touched my mouth and said, see, this has touched your lips. Your guilt is taken away, and your sin is atoned for. It's exactly what Jesus has done for us. Then I heard the voice of the Lord saying, whom shall I send, and who will go for us? And I said, Isaiah said, here I am, send me. Before, Before he knew he was forgiven, before he... He knew his sins were atoned for. Woe is me, you know. Who am I? God just strike me dead. But now he knows he's been forgiven. I'll go, God. I'll go. I will follow you. I will live for you. When we know our forgiveness, that's the response. When we're in awe of God's provision for us, how could we not follow this God? How could we not give him everything we have? And not to pay him back. It's just because it's true. God has life, and he's given it to me, and I want to live in light of that. So in ending, no matter how sinful you think you are, you're not beyond the forgiveness of Christ, no matter how bad the bad news is. And he wrote that to everyone, because here this morning, I know there's some of you thinking, "Uh, yeah, but Daryl, you don't really know what goes on inside of me, or you don't know what I've done, or you don't know where I've been, and all those kind of things. That's why it's written to all of us. There is not special verses for individuals in the Bible. It's for all people. God is not a partial God. He makes that very, very clear. It's written to all of us. And I've read the entire Bible many times. I've never seen my name, Daryl Phillips, anywhere. Like, you know, this is true of everyone, uh, but yeah, parentheses, except Daryl Phillips. That's how we feel sometimes when we're reading it, isn't it? It's like, yeah, it's probably true for everyone else, but not me. Because maybe it's because of a low self-esteem. Or maybe it's just, I know my sin too well, God, and I know. How could you accept someone like me? No one's beyond the reach of God. I know I can't convince you of that, and you know, even if I go on for another hour or so here. But I know God convinced you of that. Give him a chance. Read. Read his word. Read the Gospel of John. Read Ephesians. Read the book of Romans. Whoever calls upon the name of the Lord will be saved. I needed to hear that. There was a point in my life, a year into being a Christian, I doubted it very seriously, whether God could forgive me because of all my sin. And I prayed and prayed and prayed, and I read Scripture, and God spoke very powerfully to me, especially through Romans 10, 13, whoever calls upon the name of the Lord. And I just needed to hear God say, you are you know, you're, you're one of the whoever's, Daryl. You know, you are in that. But it was the power of God at that moment. I understand the semantic of the word That's what I'm learning. The definition of the word whoever, that means whoever, right? All people. But I need a touch from God, power of God to know the love of Christ. And God told me, you're whoever. You're one of the whoever's. You feel like a fool because, yes, I understand the definition, but my heart rejects that, and God needed to break through. Will you allow God to break through into your heart? Because he will. You're no worse than anyone else sitting next to you, and I don't care what kind of sin, particular sin you have committed or done, right? We all have the sin nature. We're all guilty, and the good news is good news for everyone. And that's how we receive the good news, Ephesians 2, 8 through 9. For by grace you've been saved through faith, and that not of yourselves. It is a gift of God. It's not a result of works, so that no one may boast, so that no one may boast. God will be given praise and glory and honor for the riches of his kindness and grace towards us for all eternity. It is all about him. It's not about us. And if you have a hard time receiving the, you know, Christ's forgiveness or thinking that he will forgive you or that he does love you, it's, it's, it's not about us. It's all about him and his character. Just read these verses. He's the main character. He's the main actor. He's the agent at work in this. We are receivers of it. We simply respond and come to him in faith and say, I want to receive your grace of forgiveness, God. I want to embrace the Lord Jesus Christ and follow him. It's that simple. And God will come in and make us new. And that's the last verse. For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works. Right? We do good works once we've experienced this newness from Christ. Not before. We come to God as we are. And the more sinful you know you are, the better. Right? Right? Read the Gospels. Everyone that really understood how sinful they were, Jesus embraced them and like, man, you're getting it. But Everyone said, no, wait a minute. I got some of my own, you know, goodness in here. Jesus is like, you don't get it. You're not understanding. You don't really understand the bad news. But once we come to Christ, we are... Another word for workmanship, we're crafted by God, right He's done something in us, He's changed us, He's made us new. Now we go out. Now we go out and live that out. Now we live for doing good works for God and that's grace too, right? We don't leave grace at salvation and go now it's up to me and now I got to be really good. As I follow the Lord, I fall down and I say, God, I need grace. I pray that nearly every morning, God. I need grace. I need your grace today to follow you. And I'm not saying that because, you know, I I mean, I know it's true. If I don't receive grace from you today, I'm not sure I'll follow you. And I'm more and more in debt to his grace the more and more I follow him. So when I get to heaven, there's nothing but praise for God's grace, his riches and kindness and goodness. Let's go ahead and pray. Lord, thank you for your wonderful truth. Thank you for your wonderful truth. Got inside I always knew, I always sensed that there was just, you know, that I wasn't a very good person. I mean, I, I knew that. Maybe others think they are, but I always knew that. And then when I started reading your word, it just rang true with me. But thank you for giving us provision to be made new. Lord, you say who, uh, whoever comes to Christ is a new creation. You give us your Holy Spirit. You take away all of our sin. You give us all your righteousness. You raise us up and seat us with your son. You give us entirely new life and new desires. It's all you're doing. Thank you for that, Lord. And I thank you even now. Help me, help none of us to rest and even our our following of you. Help us to rest in your provision for us. As we began this life, help us to continue it. In faith, we praise you for this. In Jesus' name, Amen. Amen. Thank you, Darrell. Uh, before we start singing this song, I just wanted to share something with you that. I